0: Clay, Mm. is this the penultimate episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine?
1: Yes. A Ferengi episode. Um, It's not not a Ferengi episode. Uh, It kind of had me wishing for checking in on what Gul Dukat was doing on the streets of uh, (laughs) Bajor.
0: (laughs) Blind uh, Gul Dukat feeling his way down walls for hours.
1: No, they ended up with a Ferengi
0: Ferengi episode. I would... um, yeah, I'd probably call this 50% a Ferengi episode. I guess, yeah. I guess any amount of time that you spend with more than one Ferengi becomes a Ferengi episode,
1: but it is what it is. I have to say, um, as soon as as soon as he got the, th- the... The guy came over and was like, uh, Quark, grin naked, Zek wants to talk to you. I audibly went, ugh, what? Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like they wrapped up their Ferengi stuff fairly well. I don't know if you need to spend time doing this the yeah. the episode before the end of your series especially when the rest of your stuff is so good we'll, um, we'll take a break and, and ruminate the, on this for a few seconds
0: I guess we're going to play a, bl- a break we'll play some music and we'll come back and we'll break down the dogs of war accessing
1: library computer data out there there are no safety
0: just people. All right, so everybody, this is the Dogs of War. It's the 24th episode of the seventh season, the penultimate episode of the series. It's called "The Dogs Award." Aired on May 26, 1999. Tellplay goes to Renee Echeverria and Ronald D. Moore. Story credit goes to our old friend Peter Allen Fields. Directed by Avery Brooks. In this episode, Kira, Damar, and Garrick are ambushed on Cardassia. Quark receives a message from G- Grand Nagus Zek, appointing him the next leader of the Ferengi Alliance. And is the um, well, do you want to start off with the good? I guess before we get into the bad for this one, Clay. If you said that the rest of the episode, what was going on, was pretty interesting to you, or do you want to step right into the uh, the things that you don't like about this one?
1: Um, I coin flip it. I think yeah. there's more there's more stuff that I didn't like than I did like. So, whichever you yeah. feel like. Going into first is fine.
0: I mean, I I only really enjoy the DeMar storyline, yeah, and I only really enjoy that um, up until. I, I I don't know. I think I think it's just the the final scene where he's yelling freedom like he's Mel Brooks and Braveheart is is not very good. Mel Gibson, sorry, Mel Gibson. <laughs> um, Mel
1: Brooks was History of the World Part One.
0: <laughs> Mel Brooks would have had a different turn, a point of view. Yeah, I um. I think the execution of that scene is not great. I think just because Casey Biggs, who plays Damar, is not the kind of... He's very good, but that's not really his strength, yeah. is playing Damar yeah. like that. And I think that they they probably should have rewritten it to be... That That feels more of like a Ducat type thing to do than a Damar, uh Like that kind of like yelling freedom and fist-pumping and walking through the crowd and everything like that. But I understand why they did it and why they felt that they had to do it. But I, I like the Damar stuff just because it's... You know, it's the... Personification or like literalization of the Cardassians as Bajorans, where they are yeah. bombing a facility, some kind of Dominion facility on Cardassia, and you know rallying the troops and all that stuff. And it it's the circle becoming full and uh, coming completes and everything like
1: that. And Kira looking on from the from the sideline, like uh, like Obi Wan Kenobi looking at right, Luke remembering the good times. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it, it's also weird because he kind of. He kind of does that to get out of the situation. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit weird that he's like, yeah, freedom, uprising. I gotta go. <laughs> um, you guys take care of
0: this. I will be back. Yeah, That's it's like,
1: I, uh, it is I, Damar, and you should all look towards the skies <laughs> while I <laughs> go the other way. Sign this. What is it? A receipt for a bribe?
0: surely. Well, You're aware of the new regulation making all bribes tax deductible. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just use the T word? You mean tax?
1: Are you telling me the
0: T's on Ferenkinar? You haven't been keeping up with the latest reforms, have you? Zach instituted progressive income tax three months ago. You call that a reform? Even the bombing feels coincidental. I mean, they do it because they're, they get stuck because Garrick, get, Garrick gets uh, accosted by the Jem'Hadar as they're trying to make their escape and everything yeah. like that. But it, it doesn't... I, I just feel that that scene does not really come together in a super satisfying way. And just, the, you know, it suffers from even the... um the smallness of Star Trek sets where it's like these five people who see this are going to spread the revolution, you know, worldwide. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It did feel like Batman 89 where it's like Gotham city, this sprawling metropolis where you only see about a block and a half of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm realizing, I mean, maybe I've already realized this, but this final 10 episode arc I feel like putting parts one through ten on it is a little bit uh, deceptive because it makes it sound like it's this grand finale, but it feels to me like they don't know where they're going episode to episode. Yeah. Do you mean um, by
0: the uh, like the Netflix description too? Because yes, it's interesting that yeah. Netflix calls
1: them part one, two, all the way to ten. Yeah. Yeah. Because like even here, you've got this great scene. Um, this great opening scene with Kira and Garrick and Damar, and, and, and then you get them down to the planet, and then they get caught in this situation, and then they're in a, they're just sitting in a room for half the episode. And, yeah. you know, th- there's stuff happening, I guess. You know, they're watching the video about how uh, Wei Yun and the Dominion have supposedly destroyed the Rebellion and all that kind of stuff, but it's still... There's a lot of people sitting in rooms in this final 10-episode ten ar- ten, uh, arc here, yeah. whether it's, you know... Uh, <laughs> people being stuck. Well, I guess yeah, cause it's st- stuck on narr- a planet, or stuck on a ship, or stuck in someone's brain. It's a lot of sitting around. Yeah, I mean, narratively it's tough, because a lot of the, a lot of the
0: conflict has to do with people being separated from each other, sure. right? And being, like, stuck in a kind of situation, be it a prison cell, or be it in hiding, and things like that. So... The way that you're visually seeing it is them in a room with each other. I, I think that the the actual weakness is this turn of Demar's, where I really like the sequence where they get stranded, where their yeah. ship gets attacked and gets blown up, and they're like sort of stuck as there's a uh, Jem'Hadar ambush on the Cardassians that he's supposed to meet up with down mm-hmm. uh, under, under
1: in the cave. Set. Yeah, that was great. I like that.
0: I like all that stuff. I I feel that this is the kind of turn in Damar's story where he kind of needs to ruminate on this for the entire episode and then mm-hmm. the next episode is when he sort of regains himself or just at the end of this i just i feel like his i feel like their stop in that basement of the cardassian woman that garrick knows is just this time killing setup scene yeah that they literally I, clean I, the basement Right, they clean the basement, they they lay in, on the the cots and have a little bit of jokes, but they they don't really get into Demar's state of mind of like why are they do, like why continue this or is Demar frustrated, is he not frustrated? Right. You don't really get a good sense of where he's at psychologically in this thing. And I think that you need a whole episode devoted to that if you're going to do it. And that would make those scenes of sitting in a room interesting because you just need strong conversation between Kira, Garrick and Demar to carry those things and then you won't care that they're in a room with each other.
1: Right. Yeah, you need to you need to really get a good sense of how this failure has affected Demar and his uh re- resilience as far as as going forward from here is. Um and you don't really get that and like I said, his stepping out of the shadows to become this uh William Wallace type character, it's he does only out of in the moment necessity, he doesn't do it because that's like where he is personally, and maybe that's the point. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of kind of the point of it. Um, yeah, because he he's a bit of a reticent leader. He's not
0: Ducat like he was. He was put into this position almost just because Ducat was kicked out of the
1: Dominion Alliance, and he was yeah. next in line, and he just got pushed into it. Yeah, you know, this is the kind of thing where it's like uh, you've got um, Kira, Demar, and Garrick stuck on Cardassia. And this is where I wish Gul Ducat was still part of, had had more of a, a traditional role to play because I feel like the way you can go with this is Dukat is on Cardassia they're now stuck on Cardassia which leaves them an opening to try and you know go get Ducat in some sense for you know what I mean yeah uh, instead of I, I like the, the Rebel thing I like him sort of becoming this William Wallace guy it it feels a little forced and rushed the The feeling I'm getting, watching these final episodes, is they've got about five episodes worth of story that they're stretching out over ten episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I'm I especially going into the last couple scenes, um, I I was like, man, why why didn't they just start with the st- you know. Seeing Cisco and and Admiral Ross is that his name Ross? It's Ross, right? Ross, yep, yep. Admiral Ross and and Martok talking about what's going on with the Dominion pulling back and stuff like that. And I was like, man, I want to know more about that shit. I don't really care about the uh, Quark trying to make <laughs> make Ferenginar great again. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, it, and like even the the Ezri and Bashir stuff is feels just tacked on to me um yeah i don't know it's just it, it uh the the cisco stuff um and the Demar stuff was the only stuff that really worked for me That is, that includes the uh landfilling of the defiant which <laughs> i fucking hated that i really don't i really did not
0: like that i don't know why they did that really to be honest with you um <clears throat> What was the point of destroying the Defiance? Yeah, I guess it's especially because it gets replaced with exactly the same kind of ship. Yeah, it's it's not like they honorarily give another ship the name Defiance as kind of like a memory keepsake thing. Yeah. It's exactly the same with the same sets and everything like that. So it's, it's literally they they throw a line in about the carpet being different as a way to be like, yeah, guys, this is actually a different ship, but
1: it, it doesn't amount to anything, and, and they, I don't know why it was necessary. And Worf has some line about the shield array being completely refigured Difference. or something. Yeah, yeah. so right. I assume this does this ship have like better guns than the first one or something? Maybe is it a more or, powerful ship. I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's just same thing. Yeah, why? Would either. Either make the loss of the Defiant matter because you no longer have the Defiant, or give them a different ship, like a new ship.
0: Yep. No, hundred percent. I, I don't understand why that's there. I, I personally, my my strongest parts of this one, I think, are the uh, Damar and the Cisco family talk at the very end. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that stuff. I think that the. We'll get into that before I think of the stuff that doesn't work because it's a much smaller slice of the pie. But I mean, I think we talked about why DeMar works. I would just I'd go back to your point about five episodes worth of content for 10 episodes. I think that. I think the problem might be instead of there not being enough stuff to do, it's almost the fact that they're the writers of the show still treat the show episodically. Mm-hmm. in a way that they're they're used to writing this for the past 14 years. Like, these yeah. are how they write Star Trek episodes. And so when they have arcs that go on, they, they kind of feel the need that they have to resolve the story at the end of the 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So what that does is... They resolve some aspect of the story, but instead of the characters being out of that situation, they're stuck in the same situation, but with no conflict anymore at that point. Right, so, right. like the, the Ducat and Wynn thing is an example of that. Like, you, you got two episodes out of Ducat um conning win and sort of getting her to his side and then they had another three episodes where they're like we don't have anything left to do with these two right. like they just have to wait until the very end and i think that's more the problem than not having stuff to do because i i, I feel you could stretch out the damar story here i felt you could have stretched out the klingon story and just sure. made it more organically flow across episode lines as opposed to cutting them so cleanly and being this is the klingon episode this is the ferengi episode this is the Beijor episode. I think that they would just work better if they mixed across lines.
1: Yeah. I well and while I, I agree to an extent, I, I the reason that it feels like it's less it feels like it's less than enough story is because you end up with a lot of it just being filler inside the stuff that is actually working. So you've got them sitting around in a basement for the whole episode or uh, you know, it, it just it feels like they've got these good ideas, but they they haven't really figured out how to to make them sustainable for some reason. Even though they feel like they should be fairly sustainable ideas, um, yeah, yeah. And they end up just sort of uh the stuff that is going um, crossing episodes is ends up feeling like it's running in place. Like even the uh the Kaiwin and Ducat stuff just feels like it was not going anywhere. And then it was just gone, yes. and I'm sure it's going to come back next episode, and I'm going to be very upset about that, but <laughs> uh but you know what i mean like it's 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 not it's not even like they are necessarily maximizing the time that they do have with those stories, you know where if they were if they were maxing out, if it seemed like they were jamming too much into these stories, then i would then it would feel like, oh yeah, I think the, these things could probably be stretched out, and they you know maybe it's not a lack of story but it's the fact that it feels like they just barely have enough to get across the finish line is what makes me feel like there's not not as not enough there as they thought they had.
0: I see. So I, I guess my my counter to that would just be, I'm thinking of, for example, the DeMar scene in the basement here. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they, they accomplished their goal of getting them out of that hairy situation into hiding, and then they very, very briefly consider what this means for the revolution, right? Right, right. I just feel that you could talk about what that means and what that means to DeMar for an entire episode and have it be relevant and sure. kind of interesting to see yeah. what they're doing. I feel that in their race, so it's almost that they think that they have so much that they want to get across that they only barely touch on things. Yeah. And I think that yeah. I think that's more the problem than anything is that they, they barely skirt the surface of some of these issues and that they could have gone so much deeper and just jammed those scenes full of... Meaning, some of them obviously just have to be cut back. Like, there's no reason to really have the Sisko's be so prominent in the early couple episodes when Mm -hmm. all they could do is just one episode's worth of stuff. Right. But I think that's the problem. Like, it's for... I I would just want more... I At this point in the series, like, we're right at the end. But, like, for the past couple episodes, I just wanted more sort of, like... Pontification from the characters about where they are and stuff Mm. like that. Like, they don't really seem to be thinking about things like that. It's just proceeding like normal episodes, even though we know that the end is coming.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like, it's proceeding like normal episodes if they have one, if, if their A plot is something that continues over a couple episodes, but every episode, the B plot has to be something completely new. Right, And that just feels really weird, especially coming up to the end, because you've got two episodes ago, uh, I forget what the name is, the good one. Um, Tacking into the wind. Yeah. You've got, that one is like firing on all cylinders. They're they're tackling all the important storylines. It doesn't feel like you're really getting short shrift to anything. It's moving the story forward. It's really engaging. Then, uh, you know, let's skip the last episode. You got this one. <laughs> Which is Extreme Measures, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the Into the Mind of Sloan episode. And then you've got this one, where you've got two episodes left, and you're deciding you need to spend half your episode needlessly, quote-unquote, wrapping up the Ferengi storyline? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I guess at it, this it, point, it's just kind of like, well, you know, this is going to be our last chance to ha- play with these characters or something, but I... I feel like th- it needs this to service one, the whole, and it doesn't. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think that the, the biggest problem with this episode, I think, on pretty much all of the stories except for Damar and Cisco and why they're not as good, is because it um it kind of it feels like the writers are just thinking that they have to wrap up storylines, like all stories must be closed by right. the end of this, and right. Quark and the Ferengi does not need to be that way. No. And I don't care about Bashir and Ezri being, like, turned into a thing for a, a plot line. That doesn't right. really need to happen to me. So I, I think I'm starting to see the writers put, being put into this position where they feel obligated to wrap up storylines. Like, they have this mentality of, like, if you're not wrapping up a storyline or you are not closing something out that you've started, you've kind of failed as a storyteller. And I don't mm. think that's true. You don't. No. You don't need to see resolution to everything that's not... The main focus of your story. Sure, if if the series ended without wrapping up the Dominion War, you might be like, "Well, what a weird way to end the series." But right, right. Other than that, you don't need. Like we, I guess we can go into the Frangi episode, the Frangi portion of this uh, right now because that kind of fits it the most. But I never, I just never felt the need to. This is interesting because it's kind of this is kind of remind me a little bit of uh, our last Jedi discussion, which is now seems to be leaking into like everything. But the 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 Quark thing, I understand why they were doing it, and I like the fact that it is also another Empire that has been changed. Except a, a character like Quark reacts to the change differently than Damar and Worf did mm-hmm. react to theirs. Mm-hmm. However, the Ferengi are so stupid and like broadly comic and over the top that. It just kills any storyline that you do with them. Like right. they, they, can't; those characters can't support that kind of storytelling. I don't think, and it's unnecessary in the in the long run because I don't, I don't need to know that Ferenginar has changed for this in this way.
1: Yeah, and I mean, if you want to wrap up your story with your Ferengi characters, do it with the ca- characters who are on your on Deep Space Nine. Do it with Rom, and do it with Quark. There's no need to bring in fucking Grand Negus and shit, you know, it, yeah, the mother it, ishka <laughs> yeah, like those those are not uh, you know if if you spent this episode, if you're like, okay, we want to wrap up the Ferengi storyline, okay, if they spent this time. Dealing with Rom and Quark and their relationship, and having some sort of conflict there that they're coming to terms with, which is a culmination of their relationship as it as it has been through the show. That's great because that feels like it's in line with the original conceit of how the characters were positioned. How have they changed to this point, and uh, what are the questions that might be on on people's minds going forward after the changes happen? What you don't do is just completely manufacture this Grand negus passing of the torch thing just for the sake of, uh, like, a quick gag at the end. Yeah. I, I, and it's like, I, I first of all, I saw it coming. The second that he went to talk to the Grand negus. I was like, I know how this is going to end. Uh, and it ended exactly how I thought it was going to end. You mean when he talks to him
0: at the end when he comes into the bar? To no, no.
1: Over. As, soon, as soon as Quark went to talk to the... Talk to the Grand Nagus over the communication thing. Oh, and he's like, I up, want yeah. you yeah. to be Grand Nagus. I was like, ugh. The only reason the <laughs> communication isn't working is because there needs to be a miscommunication between Quark and Grand Nagus. So that means yeah. it's probably going to be Rom. And if it's not Rom, it's probably going to be, like, Rom's wife or something. <laughs> you know, you know. I, I knew it wasn't going to be Quark. I, I, I figured it was going to be Rom. And, uh... It's just, and you're not, and it's not like you're spending the episode with Quark and Rom to the point where you can, when this happens at the end, it feels like it's, oh, this is sort of the thing that we were showing through this whole episode the difference between Quark and Rom and how Rom is sort of like the step forward or et cetera, et cetera. He's yeah. in like one scene. And he just, and he, in that one scene, he takes advantage of Quark's mindset to get him to sell him the bar. It's yeah. not like, it's not like you're making a grand statement with this character or anything. It's, I, it's just, it's such a weird manufactured thing that ultimately, like, what is Quark? Is Quark supposed to have come away from this with a newfound respect for the change on Ferenginar?
0: No, but I'd, I'd be fine if he doesn't actually, because I, what I like about his arc is that he's the one that doesn't like the change that's been happening. Sure, like, I think it's I think it's neat to reflect that kind of personality or that kind of mindset that's not happy with all the change that has been going on. And I think Quark's an appropriate person to do that. But I I would agree with you that like the the problem here is that they made the Ferengi problem an epic on the scale of the Klingon problem, where yeah. the, the Klingons fit that kind of like epic. Uh, Shakespearean storytelling where the Ferengi are more about the relationship that we have between Quark, his brother and all the people on the station, as Mm -hmm. opposed to the, like the Ferengi political thing is just like a corny goofball comic characters. Like they're they're not real people. So if you, if you had the story, but the, the big thing was just the discussion about Rom being named this from the very start and not making it a joke. And then Quark, Not understanding and sort of chafing at the change that are coming, but then at the end accepting that his brother is this way, even if he's not happy about it, this is the way things are going to go. That's a better story because that ties into, you know, Rom's whole thing has been breaking away from his brother the entire series, and... This would be the final piece of that where he's breaking away, but he actually takes the thing that Quark wants and what does that mean for Quark and everything like that. But they don't they don't play it like that. They play it like a joke or a farce and because that's what Ferengi episodes have to be, apparently. Yeah. And it just ends up not mattering or not feeling like it's important or an efficient way to spend time with these characters if you're saying goodbye to the Ferengi characters. It just feels like if you're not having a heart to heart with them at the end, it just feels empty and kind of like you're just saying goodbye just to say goodbye to them. They have to wrap something up, so we're going to give them this story.
1: Yeah, and the way that they position everything, it's like instead of instead of having Quark deal with Rom's point of view being the point of view of the future, they only focus on Quark, and it's essentially <laughs> it's essentially twenty minutes of Quark watching Fox News. You know, where he's yeah. just he's going like ah taxes to help the poor that's fucking dumb yeah you know and then at the end they just switch it to Ram because they're like Ram is the one who is actually compassionate and is the is the has an eye in the future and quark's like huh well that's stupid <laughs> but i love you anyway <laughs> brother you know it's like it's yeah. it's not there's no there's he's not dealing with any like you're saying he's not dealing with any of this stuff he's not dealing with this change or uh he's not He's not. Um, he's not wrestling with it and then making the choice to then reject it or or um, embrace it. He's just rejecting it outright. And then they give it to somebody else, and he rejects that as well. But then he but he says, "But I still love you," et cetera. You know, it's it's just it yeah. doesn't. Especially since the episode ends on a brother to brother moment that should be the crux of the story here, but it's not. Yeah. It's it's right. a Quark is being selfish and thinking he's getting X, Y, and Z, and then it's it ends on a brother-to-brother moment that's not earned Brunt's, whatsoever. Brunt
0: steals the spotlight too much in the early goings for right, whatever reason. Right. Like, Brunt becomes the ROM role, or not the ROM role because they don't approach the subject matter the same, but the, the, he steals scenes with Quark that I think would be better suited for ROM to have time with Quark at that yeah, point.
1: Yeah, like, imagine if you removed Brunt and you uh told uh, from the get-go that rom was going to become nagus so then you've got quark essentially doing what brunt's doing where he starts kissing up to rom and he starts trying to bribe him and shit and then and then rom pushing back being like no i mean that's not how i'm gonna do stuff like i'm I'm not gonna take bribes and then quark getting pissed off because his brother's not gonna take a bribe and like what the, what is this world coming you know that kind of thing yeah yep. so then you know and, and have him Come around to the to the thinking, and then accept or reject it based on that. Instead of you know pedicures, <laughs> instead which of being roast me the fuck out because I do not like feet.
0: Instead of just being upset at the very end when it's revealed that everything is just a colossal misunderstanding. No one sends an email. It's always best uh, business practice to send an email so that yeah. people have a record yeah. of these things and not do it over the phone.
1: Also, I call foul play on the way they set this thing up because. Uh, the guy who, or the character who comes out and announces that there's a message from the Grand Nagus says to Quark, the Grand Nagus would like to speak with you. Oh, yeah. So they're kind of playing dirty pool as far as their setup goes. Um, (laughs) But whatever, it doesn't matter anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess that would expose the hand. I was just thinking if there was some way you could rewrite that to not have it do like Quark. Quark the guy comes out and says he wants to talk to Rom, but Quark is like, "I'm in charge. I talk to the Nagus." And
1: then or, they have that conversation, or as don't usual. let him get it out, or something where he's like, "The Grand Nagus is on the phone, and he wants to yeah, talk." And Quark's yeah. like, "I got it, I got it," and he's like, "But," and then I got it, and then he goes talk to him that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, um, I, I, I feel the same way. Like, I, I wonder if we approach penultimate episode like is there anything before we even get to that like is there anything to say about the Bashir and Dax story not really like it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty awkward
1: Um, I hate it so much pretty
0: unfortunately acted I I understand getting them well is there even a thematic reason to get Dax and Bashir together really like I think I'd be fine if they weren't together it It feels like another yeah. thing of just having to tie it off just because you want to tie this kind of thing off where you had you had Julian interested in Dex Jed Zio
1: Dex before and now he's interested in Ezri and all that stuff and just connect the dots there or you know follow through on on that scene that they play as a joke and have Ezri be like listen yeah i it's not... we i not lying if i if i would I would be lying to say I didn't have feelings for you but it's not appropriate for us to do what we're gonna do for reasons X, Y, and Z, and Julian to be like, "But why? I'm horny," or whatever he's gonna say, and her to be like, "No, you have to realize that there are other things at stake." X, blah, 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 and you know, maybe after this is all over, we can talk, or you know, something like that. It's like they they don't need to be put together. It's the same. It's the same kind of feeling I had about Kira and Odo, where it's like the, the putting them together is not moving the story forward at all. It's just yes. like, oh, great, now they're gonna make out in the elevator while they should be doing their job, and Worf is going to just be sad even more than he is. <laughs> well, I, I really... Every time that he pushes the button and sends
0: it back down, I expect him to smile at the camera a little bit, you know, or something to be happy for. If he just... He stares off very, very depressed-looking. And I, I don't know if Worf has fully come to terms with what's going on with uh, Jed Z or, and Desri Dax.
1: Yeah, I don't know if... I don't know. I think... I personally don't think Esri is really making a smart decision here. <laughs> it's I I think it's maybe this is unfair of me to say, but I think she's being extremely unfair to Wharf here. Um uh, and that's you know, I know that they talked about it and blah 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 blah, blah, but it's like I don't know, have got to move s- on. Yeah, have some re- have a little bit of respect. You know, it's <laughs> I I know she's her own woman and she can do what she's not beholden to the the past of a different person or whatever. But it's like I don't know a little, least, a, little least, de, a little decorum. Yeah, I suppose, at least a don't bit flaunt it or something. You know, I yeah. don't know.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree. It's it's a strange uh, choice to have it be so public and to or just not to write Worf as being uh, seeming genuinely okay with things. Like he doesn't seem that way. He's I don't know if that's just the Worf personality. Uh,
1: you know, Dorn plays Warped all the way, all the time like that, or something. But, you know, I, you yeah, know, it's, I, it's strange. I still think there's something to be said that uh, whether or not her uh, attraction is genuine or not, you know, because who knows if that's half remembered Jedzia things mingling with her own brain. I don't know. I guess that's unfair for me to get into that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't think it's. And also. Give 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 of Bashir a loss at some point, you know. Like <laughs> he's like the suave womanizer character, and every single woman he's gone after, he's gotten. And at this yeah. point, why don't you have his have him take a turn with that? So it's like, oh yeah, maybe hooking up with my the, my coworker at this moment is not the best idea. Yeah, yeah. So how would you? Uh what did you think about this one, uh,
0: this episode as the uh, the penultimate, the second to last episode of the series? Uh, are you starting f- to watch, are you starting to, you must be, you must be starting to watch them with that kind of awareness. And I think you oh, probably yeah. had that awareness. But now, now, like when you're, when you're right at the finish line, you certainly know that you're right at the finish line in a way that maybe 10 episodes from now, it didn't feel that way. So I, w- I was wondering
1: if anything changed. Uh, yeah, I feel like they wasted a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I guess it's uh, I I have to try I'm wrestling with how much how much it's unfair to look back at these 10 episodes with the eye that I'm looking at them because sure they were made 20 years ago when TV was different but they're still Doing a 10 episode interconnected serialized arc. And so judging it on those merits and trying not to judge them on modern television merits, I don't think that they really maximize the time that they had. Yep. Um, Because if you're going to do a 10 episode serialized arc, then do a 10 episode serialized arc. Don't just pussyfoot around it and give us. Unnecessary Ferengi storylines and shit. I mean, I I guess the one conceit that I will I will grant is that I'm sure coming up to the end part of the thing that they're thinking is, oh man, well we got the fans are going to want to see X one last time. Okay, they're probably they're they're going to want to see the the Ferengi Grand Negus one last time. They're going to want to see Brunt one last time. My question back is, I don't know, do they really? Uh, well, followed, well, with, the, followed with followed with another statement of sometimes what the people want isn't what they need. <laughs> right,
0: right. Democracy. The, the biggest problem with democracy is that people vote in it. Right. That's the the problem <laughs> with it. Um, see, I, I I think you could actually fix things by. Why isn't the Ferengi? Because no one Rom and Quark have no input on this arc at all. Really, at right. any point, have they had any kind of impact? So why don't you do this first? To get it out of the way, sure, so that yeah. you can build after that to the storylines that actually matter. And if they if they had front loaded all the sort of like unimportant storylines early, mm. I think that that's a better solution than sticking them at the end after you've got all this stuff going and eventually things start to fire, like to fire, like the Klingons are coming together and everything like that. Yeah. So to have this pit stop right at the very end is like this is not the time for this right now. Like maybe maybe this should have happened earlier. That that would be one way that I think. The uh, the plotting and the pacing just kind of failed in this final arc.
1: Yeah. If you've got – if you've got – if your last two episodes before your finale are tacking into the wind followed by uh, our alternate version of Extreme Measures as the A plot and then the B plot being uh, some of the stuff, the good stuff from this episode, that's a fucking hell of a – two episodes before your finale.
0: Right, you know, yep.
1: like yeah, if you uh, if you put all the silly stuff at the front, yeah, I think it 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 allows you to do more of the quality stuff towards the back and just give you such a a solid runway leading into that last that last uh, dip, yeah, of the roller yeah. coaster. They, I'm speaking of metaphorically.
0: Yeah, they just they just approached all the stories as if they were equal. I think, and they yeah. didn't recognize that some of them are not equal to the other ones and that the the focus is really off there. I think, it's, I think it's fair to judge them because they set this out... I think it's fair to judge the show this way because they, at the time, set out as this is an arc. It mm-hmm. was advertised that way. It was the promotional material. They call it the final chapter. Um, th- Netflix now, at this point, calls them part one to ten and everything like that. I, th- I think that... If they were still maintaining the idea that these are standalone episodes, I think it's a little bit, it's probably less fair to judge it that way, but they, they came out with the intent of writing them this way, to be this kind of 10-hour uh, long final episode that's going to wrap everything up, and I, I don't think they did it very well. Mm. When when I know that they can do it well, because the occupation arc, while it was shorter, was a better use of this uh, storytelling method, where right. those stories felt like they belonged in order, and that things built off of them, and that the the plots went somewhere. And even then, they still had standalone episodes within it that were just character episodes within the bigger story that didn't tie into anything, and, and that's the way to go about doing this kind of stuff, I think.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting watching this and thinking about this now, because I, uh, I I've been listening to the Watchmen podcast, and you know, Watchmen is about as good of a set them up knock-em-down season of television as you can get these days, uh, especially with so much going on and so much crazy shit going on. And listening to the podcast, even that show was not, quote-unquote, planned from the get-go where they've yep. got 9 episodes to do this thing and they they did a pilot so they uh the writers the writers room you know hashed out a bunch of stuff for about 12 weeks then they shot a pilot and then they once when they started doing the show they didn't know okay episode 2 and 3 are going to be this episode 4 is where this is going to come out like they there was still a lot of story breaking that they had to do even though it seems like they had it all scripted from the beginning so yep. it's I think it is a little unfair to uh, to be like, oh well, you know, if they had all planned it out, blah 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 blah. But because um, stuff always changes and stuff always shakes out differently, uh, and apparently it's impossible to pre-plan a season of television. Um, yeah, but it's. I think I think
0: that that's where the judging it by its individual <clears throat> chapters comes in. That's why yeah. a, that's why a TV show still has to have that kind of episodic setup mm-hmm. where each chapter needs to even even in the most heavily serialized story the episode has to stand on its own as an entertaining hour of tv right and right. i think the biggest failure of the ds9 stuff is that they weren't like 80% of these weren't that way which is way too high right, to, yeah. at that point so th- that's the problem for me i think is that they they had a lot of storylines that weren't uh Ideal to be wrapping up the series with that they stuck with for a little bit too long, and they weren't really good at recognizing what was going to work and what wasn't even as they as they went through it,
1: yeah, like imagine if they hadn't done all that stuff with Gold Dukat and Kai Wyn, and they just had Ducat in their back pocket for like a late a late run you know bomb drop, you know like if if they get to a certain point and they're like, okay. This tension is happening over here. this tension is happening. What can we do that's going to really you know tur- put a knife and stuff? Okay, this is when we use the gold card instead of playing the gold card immediately and then it just kind of like falling off the table you know yeah it, it's yeah. I don't know it's uh it it's seems... like, it's,
0: what is it's like um what is it uh, what's the game with the trump cards? oh I don't uh, know. Uh, it's not really, There's the there's the card game with the Trumps, like hearts or whatever. It's, it's mm-hmm. not hearts, but it's something like that, where you you throw out your junk just to get other people to throw out their junk at mm-hmm. the same time, you know, so that you can save your good cards. It's that kind of a strategy, I think, where you, you want to get rid of your junk first and then save your strong cards for the end of the game.
1: Yeah, I would be curious to hear the writers talk about what their strategy was, because it seems like the kind of thing where before you go into... Obviously, it's different... <laughs> Doing one season of television like watchmen where you have all this time to prepare is much different than doing a 10 episode arc at the end of the seventh season of your show which you're probably under the gun to get done anyway yep um but I would love to know what their what their game plan was whether or not they did that where they where they're like okay here's our here are our big guns we have to figure out how to use them when to use them and how they should all come together and then they filled in afterwards or or what it would be i'd be I'd be curious to know
0: yeah, it seems... I mean, they... One thing that I think isn't in their favor is that all the interviews I've seen with them, where they they started thinking about how to wrap up the series around the end of the fifth, beginning of the sixth season. They started to, like, consciously become aware of where they wanted characters to be at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And the problem there, I think, is that, like, for that amount of pre-planning, I don't think they ended up particularly in good places for, for a lot of characters. Yeah. So that that's kind of the downside to it, but I... I get the sense that they were, they, I think that they didn't focus on their big stories and they were instead thinking maybe too holistically about everyone needs to be somewhere at the very end. And Quark is kind of that example that he gets this episode here when he's not particularly uh, necessary
1: to have one. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I will Let's say, I will say, yeah, uh, just as one more thing to say about Watchmen, Watchmen is the first show in the modern era where I really feel like it does it does have you do have the ability to go oh i love the episode where x happens because they do enough interesting stuff am- among those 9 episodes where you can you can pick them out specifically and be like oh man that that episode was great i i'm going to go back and watch that episode while still yep. being a very very serialized story yeah
0: yeah Chapters within a book, I guess, is the mm-hmm. best way to go. Let's, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, we'll have more to say because the finale is coming up. But I think that uh, Dogs of War was not really a
1: great second to last episode. Terrible we'll, title we'll... too. I was expecting yeah. something a lot more intense in this. <laughs> 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 I was not expecting Cork uh, getting a foot massage from Brunt with the title Dogs. Of war. Although I mean, dogs maybe meaning feet and wars. Yeah, dogs tired, tired dogs.
0: <laughs> it's like, there's a TNG episode called Manhunt, but it's about Loxana Troy looking for some good D, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. which is which is really not what you expect when you click on that title. That's what you're going to be going for. Let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. We'll come back, read some patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts about the dogs of war. According to our intelligence reports, the Dominion has withdrawn completely from Klingon, Federation, and Romulan space. They seem to be forming a new defensive perimeter within Cardassian territory. They must know we've developed a countermeasure to the Breen
1: weapon. That would be my guess. There are
0: advantages to falling back.
1: They shorten their supply lines while forcing us to lengthen ours. And with a smaller perimeter, they're
0: less vulnerable to hit-and-run attacks. It would take a major offensive to break through their lines. At a cost of thousands of ships, the wiser course would be to simply contain them within their perimeter.
1: That's what they're hoping we'll do, to give them time to rebuild their forces. He right, We have them on the defensive. We should hit them with everything we've got.
0: Breaking through that line would be a very ugly, very bloody job. All right. So thank you very much, guys. If you enjoyed the show today, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to do it. A couple dollars a month and you get extra stuff, extra podcasts. We're going to be talking about Akira coming up soon. We talked about Black Mirror recently. There's about 60 podcasts that you get access to if you become a patron uh, patron supporter over at patreon.com slash the Penske file. And as always, our $10 captain tier gets a special shout out. So special thanks go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Cork, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Mosk, David Biermore, David K., Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Cal Barrett, Mad, uh, Mad Courier, Matt Cutler, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergio, Robert Cummins, Russell Elwood, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Tark, Latif, Tom Howes, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much, guys, for supporting the show means a lot. And now, if you're a patron, you leave your thoughts on upcoming episodes and we read them. It's the second to last time we're going to be doing this for
1: Star Trek DS9, so we can get into it. Technically, Patience. is that true? Are we going to be taking uh, comments on Emissary?
0: No, I, I meant for this is the second we'll have the finale, and that's it. Oh. We're not taking comments for Emissary. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. So, uh, we we are going to be... Uh, what Clay's alluding to, we're going to be revisiting Emissary before we get to the finale. So the next episode of the podcast you're going to hear is us talking about <laughs> Emissary, the pilots. It'll, you'll uh, think you've gone back in time or something. Except we'll have all this perspective on where the series is going to go. So it'll seem my hair strange. is going
1: to be a lot different.
0: That's- <laughs> I'm going to be wearing the uniform instead of my Bajoran uniform. Let's go to the Dogs of War comments. Point Extra G says... I guess, I guess there wasn't room for a Ferengi episode somewhere earlier in the season. I mean, it probably needed resolution, but why do that here? Part of me loves and part of me hates Quark doing Picard's first contact speech, and Jeffrey Combs finally pulls off two characters in the same episode. The juxtaposition between Ferengi stuff and the seriousness of the others on Cardassia is pretty odd. I don't know if these two plots work well together. Zam Nuclear Wessel says, I really liked Amar's use of humor in these last few episodes. It's like fighting for freedom has let him relax and let his hair down in a way he never could before. Saying he'd wanted his secret mountain fortress to be a surprise is an especially good line. Inkover says, what about that intro and the, re- the redefiance? Uh, about that intro and the redefiance, I gotta ask, what was the effing point? Captain Quark says, Like ripping off a Band-Aid, the Ferengi storyline concluded as painlessly as possible given that it had to happen. At least Rom's ascendancy to Nagus follows the theme of leadership change that we've seen in the Klingon Empire and Cardassia. The Federation's decision not to share the cure is a dark and difficult but strategically sound one considering the war. And with the other episodes in this final stretch, everything related to the Dominion War was compelling, while the rest, much like Sisko forgetting to take his birth control,
1: was very easy to forget. (laughs) That was weird. (laughs) (laughs) That was... was, (laughs) let's again, the, uh, that's one of those things where it's like, do we really need to know how they did or didn't get pregnant yeah I know. you know <laughs> I it's guess like, they do we really need to tie off that tube so to speak
0: well that's another of those that's that's
1: another while you're in there, you might as
0: well tie some tubes <laughs> well that's another one of the it's an it's a plot point that I think based on what they're talking about, it feels like it merits more discussion because the argument they do kind of get into it whether or not they want to have a baby because of what the prophets have said to mm-hmm. him, right? And I feel you could actually even tie in the war. Like, it's not good, like, doing this now because the war is still ongoing is not the best time to do that and things like that. I just think that I I like that last Cisco scene because I, I do like it setting up this kind of melancholy thing going into the final episode, right, where... Cisco's trying to act happy about what's going on. I think he is legitimately happy, but there's this Paul that's overhanging everything that Cassidy represents and that mm-hmm. she sort of recognizes in a way that Cisco doesn't want to openly show that he recognizes. And I like that. Yeah, it's just it's weird to talk about the birth control method for for, for like a good portion of that conversation or just to to bring it up as kind of a weird thing. I feel it misses the the mark of what's important to the characters about that somehow, or maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I'm not giving them enough credits and it's too subtle. I just, I I feel like that's a scene that could go on for a little bit more and, and and have some more interaction between those two. I think it's good still, but it's just, it's part and parcel of the problem with the other storylines.
1: Yeah. I actually, I really like that scene because it wasn't your traditional unexpected pregnancy talk that they have in these shows where like, the woman is is happy, but then she becomes mad because the man wasn't happy, and it doesn't it doesn't start with with uh, him coming in and being like, I don't know, Cassidy. With all the horrible things that are going on in this war, in this universe, I don't know how anyone could ever think of possibly ever bringing a child into this world. And then she's like, Well, I'm pregnant. You know, they, yeah, it wasn't right. that thing. Like the the actual tension between them was was fairly ambiguous both on both sides where he's like he's happy but he's reticent and she's happy but she's kind of not happy but it's not because yeah yeah she's she's scared scared, you know because she's thinking about the profits and shit i thought that i thought the the stuff going on there was really great and felt really honest too and maybe i don't know maybe that was what where that dialogue was coming from is it's like yeah i could see them hashing that out in the moment you know
0: (laughs) yeah 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 i I do like that scene. I was probably being a little bit too harsh on it there earlier, but it's a maybe it is kind of perfect for the length that it's going and to re bring that in. Um, yeah, I, I don't really have anything. I, I like that scene. I think that's a good Cisco scene. It's a good scene to end on. I think because it's it sets you up in a good way for the finale. I think, but yeah, it's. Um, I'm the glad other one they, that...
1: Sorry, I was just going to say I'm glad that they. <laughs> I, I guess I'm glad that they did the birth control conversation if only to avoid the possibility that maybe the prophets willed it to happen or some shit like that you know right
0: yeah oh course. sure <laughs> it, it wasn't some divine uh vision or anything it was just yeah. his he's like oh julian reminded me about it too and i didn't do it But it's nice to see the male birth control has gone places in the future and although isn't that weird that bashir would remind him to do that well here's my question why why do both of you need to take birth control
1: well you know She's only 99.99% effective. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's.
0: His and hers set of birth control. <laughs> He's like, God damn it, Cassidy. Like, I knew
1: I shouldn't have raw dogged you like that. Much like it takes two people to make a child, it takes two people to avoid making a child. Yes. <laughs> I just, I think that medicine needs to evolve.
0: If both of you need to take it, that is just there's a strong risk of the goalie being pulled in the second period. I think at that point, um, what was the, there was some other po- oh we didn't even talk about uh the other scene that I really like is Odo getting upset that he yes. was used
1: by the Federation. Yeah, that was great. I wish there was more of that stuff in there, but nope, got to tell Ferengi stories. I also wish, <laughs> I also wish that there was more of Cisco. Uh Cisco casual because when he's got his main jacket off and he's just got the vest on and he's got his like collar open a little bit, he looks like he's getting ready to go to like a disco or something. <laughs> it was a great look. And he's just like casually one elbow up on his knee being like, Hey man, you know, war is war. Shit gets crazy.
0: <laughs> war is the pits, man. No, definitely. I'm not, I, I saying, like that look I'm not
1: saying I like section thirty one, but yeah, I'm gonna ignore what they're doing.
0: <laughs> I like I like uh it just it's felt like it's been I know that he's been in a relationship, and that's what's supposed to have changed him, but it's so good to get angry odo back because oh, yeah. yeah angry odo is the character, like yes. he yeah he's not anything if he's not angry about something, and mm-hmm. you you could even continue that here where he is. You know, he started off as the authoritarian type character who's angry about the rules not being followed and everything like that. But he's he's still that way here. He's just angry that the new rules that he now appreciates aren't being followed at the right, same time. Right. And I think that works. And it's it's nice to get him back and have old Odo back
1: for at least a scene. Yeah, and I also like that he is uh, um, he's still. I was gonna say human enough, but that's not the word to use. Uh, he is still mad about the fact not that he not I mean he's mad about being used but he's also mad about Starfleet possibly committing genocide and being fine with it yeah like yeah. he he's not he doesn't like understand that it's like oh okay i see obviously you would try to kill my entire people that makes sense uh like he's still pretty pissed off about it so he's still he's still kind of in that 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 fence position where you know much like uh the the tagline for Alien versus Predator no matter who wins he loses
0: Right, yeah. Odo's, and it's consistent, Odo's always had a deep concern for the Changelings. Yeah. Um, he, he's always wanted to go back and they were the ones that sort of booted him out in, in that scene where they made him human as a kind of punishment and they haven't been very accepting of him. But he's always, he's always hoped that, you know, he's always had a special place in his heart for them in a way that's kind of unique for the other characters uh you know, personified in the double header episode where they, him and Garrick talk about it, where they both want, just want to go home and things like that. But it's, mm-hmm. it's
1: consistent for him. I would like to see a Star Trek character who is an outcast but actively hates his people. Right. Because, you know, <laughs> you've got Odo who's like, oh, yeah, the changelings, they're pretty cool. I, I, I guess I love them. And Worf is like, well, I, I didn't grow up on Kronos, but I do love the Klingon people and blah, 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 blah. I wish there was one like Romulan or Cardassian who was like, yeah, I was exiled and they f- fuck those guys. <laughs> kill them all i don't care
0: he has to go back for something unimportant like he left his uh left his uh, oven on or something and he just can't get home to turn off his oven in time <laughs> norman buckwald says okay everything happening to demar garrick and kira continues to be strong the rest however will not at the, at the nonsense of extreme measures is not is still not good the cisco cassidy bashir esri stories exist exists to take up space the launching of Defiant Two was, I guess, necessary, but it happened way too fast. And then there's the wrapping up of the Ferengi storyline. Was it necessary? Since what happens here cannot happen without Profit and Lace. The problem is that outside of the one episode, there's nothing in the storytelling to give any sign of Ferenginar changing. It feels out of nowhere. I would have left the Ferengi in the background for the final ten hours. Three out of five as a whole, but five out of five if you only count the Damar storyline. <laughs> Yarpy says, It's kind of a shame that we never get a good picture of how big DeMar's rebellion is, but the scenes with DeMar continue to be the best part of the final arc. It's a bit surprising how poor Star Trek has always been at showing the scale of events, even through dialogue. Rom is Grand Nagus. Ferenginar will be completely fucked in a year with frivolous spending. Combs playing both Brunt and Wayun shows how versatile of an actor he is. The episode is mostly setting stuff up for the finale, but you do get a nice build on the show is ending very soon. After a sketchy start, the final arc has become pretty good, in my opinion. Matthew Ross says, if you take out the Ezri Bashir nonsense, the Ferengi stuff and the scene about Cassidy being pregnant, you have a fifteen minute episode that could have expanded to Mars saga. That said, the Ferengi side story was a good wrap-up, with Double Duty of Combs as Brunt. Nog as the Nagus is to be expected. The Ezri Bashir story is good, I guess. At least Bashir can distract himself with Ezri away from his true love, which is O'Brien. The destruction of the Cardassian Rebellion is the most intriguing part. From being in a cell of three to, inspi- to being an in- inspiring revolutionary, Damar becomes a symbol of freedom that will lead Cardassia forward. The new Legat Broca appears pliant enough, although I keep seeing Benny the, ca- uh, the cab driver from Total Recall. Overall, oh, is the that episode who that is-, is? I don't think, his na- that guy's name is Mel Johnson, I think, the actor, because I thought he looked familiar, but I don't recognize that actor's name. Oh,
1: is it Tiny Ron? Because there's someone there's someone in the credits whose name is Tiny Ron. No, Tiny
0: I... Ron is the uh, the bodyguard for Zach, that big guy.
1: Oh, really? Okay, yeah, that's funny.
0: It's like Little John, yeah, because kind of like... he's huge. <laughs> uh, overall, the episode is ably directed by Avery Brooks, and it's a nice ramp up to the conclusion that may uh, that that makes you want this series and arc to never end. Neil Brennan says. Last episode, this is the penultimate comment to match up with the uh, penultimate episode. No, Brennan says, Last episode, Weston Clay opined that O'Brien might be the weakest DS9 character. I feel the blame for this has to lie at the feet of the writers and showrunners for failing to uh, work Irish hero hero (laughs) Colm Meany's strengths. Too often they give him a 5 out of 10 line when he's the master of the the what-the-fuck facial expression. They fail to write a family story that plays to Meany's usual impeccable casting as a roguish father with a heart of gold and a twinkle in his eyes. See the van for proof of this. And worst of all, they let him have bizarre pointy sideburns. Criticize O'Brien if you must.
1: Anytime Neil tells you to see the van, don't listen to him. (laughs)
0: Criticize O'Brien if you must, but please make it clear that Meany is incident, uh, innocent, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I, I can't disagree. I yeah, I don't know. I mean is is he is his performance as O'Brien the family man only as good as the performance of the family? In which case, no, then... I, I
0: think he, I think he similarly holds back the family scenes yeah. because he he does not seem like he enjoys any moments of those scenes.
1: Yeah, because I'm I can't remember what the episode is, but there's that one episode where they have like a family drama scene, and nobody comes out of that looking good. Yeah, <laughs> I would agree. I I don't think Meanie's a. Uh,
0: we can give I, I guess to give serious credit, like. The the best here, here's what I'll describe the best O'Brien the O'Brien that I like and that I don't think they played up nearly enough was angry short temper O'Brien. There's the scene. Do you remember the episode Children of Time where they they go back in time 300 years and they meet their ancestors who have lived in that time loop? Uh, and then Odo Odo oh, and destroys and it to save yeah. Kira. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So there, there's a scene there where they're all kind of discussing things of what's going on and like Worf and Kira talk about things and O'Brien is just getting really frustrated because he wants to go home he doesn't want to stay on this planet Mm -hmm. and he he tells Kira that her Bajoran prophets are fake and then he tells Worf that he's a bad father (laughs) and and that's the O'Brien that I really like I wish it was more of a cutting uh like harsh ill-tempered O'Brien because I think he suits that role pretty well and they don't really give that to you in the series, unfortunately, all that often.
1: Yeah, he feels like he should fit like the McCoy role, right? Where, you yeah, know, he's he's the he's the one who who interjects into the conversation between Spock and Kirk, and is like, "What are you fucking talking about?
0: Yeah, we've got X, kind- Y, and
1: Z to deal with here. We can't be thinking about stupid shit."
0: Right. They, they I, I will say, they they do draw him that way. I just don't think it's his primary character trait. Yeah, that I think that yeah. it should be. It should be really be like strengthened as him as the.
1: The cynic in him is the kind of mm-hmm. like realist
0: uh, against everybody else, and I
1: and I don't think he's a bad character. Um, I just think they found what they because f- because when they write him well, he's great. I just don't think that they managed to come up with enough enough interesting things for him to do. Unfortunately, um, yeah. he just ends up being relegated to the low man on the totem pole story wise, um, yeah. which is too bad.
0: No, I agree, and I, I don't hold it against. Uh, I mean, I know Neil's uh, writing and jest, obviously, and making a joke about it, but I, I don't hold it against meany. Really, uh, it's more just I was surprised that O'Brien ended up in that position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do, I do blame the writing for it, but his family thing was just so bad. I'm going to have more about this in the um, when we do the series wrap up and stuff, yeah. but we'll we'll get into when it. When was that the point. last time we saw his family? Uh Times Orphan, right when Molly fell into the Oh God, really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was last season, but
1: even then we haven't seen them for a while because they, they They had to they had they felt the need to wrap up the Ferengi plot line, but they didn't want to go out on a, a better note than Times Orphan <laughs> for O'Brien's family. <laughs> Jesus. I mean they they got rid of them before the
0: war. When the occupation arc started, they sent them off to Earth mm-hmm. as a way to sort of get rid of them and justify it by saying hope, that they were protecting them. I hope them. they
1: weren't in, in San Francisco when they got attacked oh. by the
0: <laughs> you'll, you'll Breen. You'll be safe in San Francisco. Absolutely nothing will happen. That's true. They don't even touch on that. There, there,
1: they, wasn't, even, there wasn't the scene where, like, O'Brien's like, they attacked Earth, huh? Where? <laughs> huh. Well, I guess I should uh, call someone. What about one, two, three,
0: uh, yeah, one, two, three, seven uh, Maple Drive in San Francisco? Is that still, God damn it. It's oh, Brian, somewhere. don't
1: you want to check in your family? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they, came,
0: they came back at some points, obviously, and have been on the station, but they, they really, they gave up on them. We'll talk about more about that in the uh, finale. Final comment. Calbert says, most of all, I find this episode to be a testament to all the incredible supporting characters the show has developed. I I was in such awe at the huge amount of guest star names coming up on the screen that I had to rewatch the scene because it was all that I was paying attention to. The arc would be better with a little bit of restructuring so we get more of Damar as the resistance leader. As terrible as it sounds to spend half of your penultimate episode on the Ferengi storyline, they just about make it work. I like the development of Ferengi culture and Quark's resistance to it. But I feel conflicted about David Duchovny. He's the perfect choice to reinforce <laughs> the point about the the point that the episode is making. But I feel it upends his arc of going his own way a little. Mm, but I guess that's the point. point. And the final scene lands a bit flat for me. I don't think the acting is great, but
1: overall, it's a solid lead into the finale. Final scene meaning the baby scene. Cast cast yeah the baby oh, Cisco's yeah. That's that's too bad. I thought it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, I I, I like uh, I like that one too. I get the I mean it's I think that's a perfect example of um. We're speaking very generally now, but like that's a perfect example of Avery Brooks's weaknesses as an actor coming through. I think he's, I, I, I think, I think what we like, speaking of no experience, what I I think would be frustrating about being a writer for someone like Avery Brooks, right? Is that even after seven years, I don't think you can predict how he's going to act to your writing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you, like really, Avery, are gonna Avery.
1: You? We just want you to pick up the phone and say hello. This is Captain Cisco. Can hey, you j- <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like God damn it, Avery! Like do it right. This is Captain
0: Cisco. <laughs> Avery, you're you're extremely sad. You you've just heard some bad news. Now pick up the phone. He's like, Hey, baby, it's me, Captain Cisco. It's like God damn it, Avery! But. You know what I mean? Like he
1: never. I'm the captain.
0: He he his maybe his greatest strength is he's so unpredictable in how the scene will unfold mm. that it sometimes ruins, not ruins, but it sometimes it leaves you in this position where I'm never really sure what Cisco is thinking a lot of the time yeah. because he's so strange in the choices that he makes.
1: Yeah, he's like I appreciate that he clearly either out of uh legitimate um mindfulness of the material or just the fact that he finds the material boring he seems to think about what's behind each line and motivation when he has the opportunity to like if he's got if he's got a scene that's a that's a like a chewy scene he's got a lot to work with you can tell that he's really thinking about like uh, in, like, a th- theater approach, like, what's the intent behind the words, Wh- which is great, but I think probably as a television writer, it's like, you know, I need you to go from point A to point B and say the Cardassians are almost here. That's all I need you to do. <laughs> and he's like, well, but why would I take that exact tone? It's like, <sighs> just please, yeah, deliver <sighs> Avery, the exposition. got to get Avery, this please. done. We got to shoot this in like 10 minutes. <laughs>
0: yeah it's that's the I think that's the downside of him as an actor, and I think that it, it comes across in his scenes like some of the scenes he can do really well, but others I, I i don't think that scene is bad, but I just his performance seems like he wants to wrap up all of these conflicting emotions that Cisco feels right. but it comes across extremely scattershot in how he's portraying those emotions like he goes from it's, it's not the it, he doesn't move from shocked. To accepting to then sort of like calm or like anything like that he he's kind of like happy sad sad happy over here now this think about the prophets and it's this it's very all over the place and I you think know, that that scene would benefit from more consistency
1: I I don't know I see that's a scene where I kind of think that that is is fairly appropriate because that's okay. a scene full of dialogue that's fairly straightforward maybe it's and, a bad example sure yeah yeah and and that's and that's a scene where I think the the good stuff you're gonna get out of it is how how your actors play it. Um because, you know, the dialogue's fairly straightforward. And so if you've got uh if you've got Cisco saying fairly straightforward stuff, but he's in this position where he's got fifteen different things going on at the same time, I think it's appropriate to kind of play that scatter You know, I sure I, I wouldn't expect him to be only scared or only happy or, you know, I think it's I think it's an interesting way to play it.
0: Yeah, I, I guess my, if I was directing it, I would just say that, Avery, we need a little bit more consistency in your overall mood swings here. Mm. Like, you're, I, I think he's just too, he's too abrupt, because it, as you say, he kind of speaks like he's some sort of, like, jazz trumpet. Like, he's very... Yes. He,
1: he's, he's he very, acts like jazz.
0: Yeah, he he acts like jazz. And he has, like, a very, like, sort of, blah, type thing of talking, and it's very, like, he articulates certain things but I think that sometimes it's just better to like to not have that sort of like beboppy blast to the way that he's talking, but more mm-hmm. of like the the melody moves slower, so you can kind of follow it. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that analogy is working, but I, I always I, think that you're that's like kind two of clicks
1: away from saying something real racist. I'm just going to tell you that much. <laughs> no, but uh, I, the tough thing Pull about the traps, the tough thing about directing this one is in this case he was the director, so he was like Avery, just <laughs> explore the space. <laughs> He's got a
0: cowbell in his hand. Oh, man. But that's it. We'll have more to talk about Avery uh, Brooks as we go into it. But Avery's a good example of I like his, uh, him as a director. I think he's a pretty well suited yeah, to be a director.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I thought the, you know, I, I I think he managed to wrangle the Ferengi stuff pretty well. So it's not completely over the top the entire time.
0: Yeah. All right, so, Clay, what are you going to give? Thank you, patrons, actually, first of all, for leaving comments. Much appreciated. Thank you for supporting the show. We're almost done with DS9. Uh, I feel like maybe I failed at sort of summing up the series to this point, but I I think we have plenty of time to do that. So let's get to the end, and then we'll see how it goes. We have the finale, What You Leave Behind, uh, will be the final episode of this one. It's a double episode. It's coming up next. But, well, first we're going to have Emissary, and then we'll get to that. So we'll be uh, doing that around Christmas. Those will come out around the Christmas week. Hopefully you guys enjoy. Clay, what are you going to give this one on our scale of 1 to 5?
1: Uh I think I'm going to give it a 2. Yeah, because it's you know, you're you're coming into the final final you know, you're you're land you're trying to land your plane and your landing gear is just not down as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> or like four, 3 of the 4 wheels are down but like the important wheel isn't down yet, so it's going to I, maybe that's a bad, that's probably a bad metaphor, but
0: a lot, a lot of metaphors and analogies in this podcast. Something, something, yeah. Has been in the well, air. you
1: know, it's which it's what I do when I can't actually speak human language. <laughs> um, I will Baby, say the landing gear is not down. <laughs> uh, I will say that if they had to do Ferengi stuff, this is some of the better Ferengi stuff I've seen in that it's mm. not super over the top. And it's not the entire episode. So...
0: Y- yeah. <laughs> they, I they... will agree it's not the entire episode. I would... I, you had that line about... I consider the worst part of the Ferengi over the topness to be the scene that you brought up, which is um when when they're going through the changes of what's happened on Ferenginar, Yeah, they're so broad. Yes, they're like, yeah. people have equal rights. So, <gasps> equal ri- There's no subtlety to, to the... Taxes to pay fir- for the roads. <laughs> there's no... There's no subtlety to the Ferengi worldview. So when you try to do serious drama with them, it's just like, this is just so hokey. But that's what I consider to be over the top. But I take your point that because they're limited, it's not as horrible as it could have been.
1: Yeah. Like, it's you don't have five people in Ferengi makeup all doing penguin impressions for like 20 minutes, like you usually do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that works to its benefit, but I think it's the wrong time for this, and... I would argue you don't it's the wrong story as well. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm also going to give it a 2 because I think it has about 35% good stories to it. It's not a colossal failure. Um I'll give it a 2. I think it's certainly not what I would have expected out of the episode at this point leading into what they have to get to, but it is what it is and you know, I don't think there's really much else to say about it other than mm. that it's just not 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 what it could have been and uh, maybe not what it should have been. So, 2s for both of us. Thank you very much for listening, guys. You can support the show at patreon.com slash File. You can follow us on social media. All the links would be down below. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, if you want to join the conversation. We're going to be going on to Emissary next, revisiting the pilot. Then we have the finale. And then we're going to be doing the documentary or series wrap-up. We'll be releasing those slowly until Picard comes out. So uh, we'll get through DS9 first and then sort of expose what we're going to do next. Anything you want to say, Clay? Uh.
1: Thanks to anyone who gave feedback on the uh, the rough cut of Rotten Horror Picture Show's first episode. Um, it's nice to, to see how it was received before I put it out into the world. So uh, that should be coming out, I don't know, in a month or so. I don't know. Yeah, January we'll sometime. Yeah.
0: Thank you guys for leaving your feedback about that. You could get early access to uh, the rough cuts by becoming a patron. That's how the patrons listen to it on patreon.com. So... I think that's it. We only have one episode left here. Clay, I think I'll, um maybe I'll just prime you here. Are you, and <laughs> you just be honest, are you, are you, have you been thinking about the series as a whole because of
1: this wrap up conclusion?
0: Or are you just kind of focused on the end and hoping that the, uh, the, the darkness
1: comes soon and takes you away? Um, I mean, I'm not like looking forward to the show being over. I'm not, it, this watching it is not like a pain for me. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see how it's going to shape up because uh, I don't know. I don't really know. I'm I'm trying to, I've, I've been trying to think about like what a satisfying finale for this would be. And it's different from TNG and apparently Voyager in that it's, it's not, it seems like it's not going to be a uh, let's not, let, let's take a step sideways from the story that we have been telling up to this point to kind of ruminate on the future it seems like it's going to be no we're gonna we're gonna do this story yeah uh we're gonna do the last part of this story we've been telling for 10 episodes um, ds9 ends i will say that yeah DS9 that's, has that's an i ending. guess that's what i mean it feels like it's really an ending uh coming up so i'm uh, yeah i'm curious to see how it shakes out. Um, I, I there's things I would like to happen, which I know are not going to happen. I, I've been pretty vocal about what I wish would happen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I don't I don't think I know where I want the characters to end up. Um, but I, after I see it, I'll know if it feels off. I guess is a good way to yep. put it yeah yeah
0: I'm looking forward to it I have not seen the finale in a long time but I remember being the the finale being fairly satisfying give
1: Nog his own ship already he deserves it
0: he's the oh Nog sorry I'm always confusing those two yeah yeah
1: (laughs) I don't know that just seems like something that the internet would say if the show
0: (laughs) at this point well we'll be back with uh, what you leave behind it'll be the finale uh, with Emissary first and then we'll get to that so you guys have something to look forward to Leave your thoughts about the finale and the season uh, as a whole on Patreon. If you're a patron, I'll have those to go through. And I think that's pretty much it. We're done with the Dogs of War. The finale's coming. I'm starting I to hope, think
1: about the series as a whole. I hope, I hope the finale ends with uh, Picard showing up and saving everybody. <laughs>
0: They'll tie it into the uh, the new Picard series or something like that. Picard comes and is the savior
1: of Deep Space Nine. It's all that we needed. Q what comes and do? just blinks what everything out. What would you out. do? If, given the way that all media is now uh, interconnected with with itself and there's no more boundaries to anything, what would you do if, as an advertisement for, like, an upcoming season of Discovery or Picard or something like that, the old episodes they worked in, like, michael burnham is walking around in the background and then you you, you watch the new season of Discovery. and you find out that for some reason she goes 300 or at this point point two thousand years back in time and is right. on, on deep space nine looking for macguffin number eight or something
0: it would be like um trouble with tribbles except they know that they're going to do it so they insert cisco into the back of trouble with tribbles while they're shooting in the yeah, 60s exa- and then yeah they, yeah that kind yeah. of thing like
1: i i kind of would I'd be I down think, with that. Yeah, actually. I don't. That's... As long as that wasn't like the final, ver- as long as it was just a like a gimmick and it wasn't the only version available, I think that would be really fun.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. If you if you just stuck Burnham in and it just happened to be the happenstance of these two things lining up, and it wasn't like the, a Marvel crossover where every universe is colliding with each other, I'd be mm-hmm. like, that's that that shows some interesting level of. Forethought about what you're doing with the series that maybe yeah. is impossible. For especially,
1: TV, especially if they did a thing where it's like, oh, the next season of whatever Star Trek show uh, has a lot of its roots in season three of Deep Space Nine. So you might want to rewatch that and as oh, you're watching. Be, yeah, it, that that'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. as you're watching, it, you're seeing stuff pop up. We're like, wait a minute, what the fuck? You know, that would be kind of fun. <laughs> it would make people so mad. <laughs> I'd be interested, though.
0: Let's wrap it up there. Guys, we'll be back with Revisiting Emissary, and then we'll have the finale, which will be behind in a couple days after that. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.